Philippians chapter 1. And uh, it's a great passage of scripture. We've entitled our study Gospel Impact. Because here's the thing. And this is, this is one of the things that I think as Christians we miss a little bit. When we think the gospel, we think salvation. We think the story of Christ, of how we were sinners, we had no hope. Jesus came from heaven, became one of us, came and stood in our place, died for our sins, was raised from the dead. Now he offers forgiveness, he offers eternal life to us as a free gift. That is the gospel message, and that is exactly what it is. But once we believe that, once we come to put our faith in that, now he begins to transform us, to make us into the image of Christ. And so when you think about it, Jesus really is the gospel message. And so what we're talking about here in the book of Philippians is not just about salvation when we talk gospel impact. That's where it begins. But what we're really talking about is how, as we continue to grow in our knowledge of the gospel, as we continue to become more like Jesus, how does this live itself out? And in this passage, Paul gives us a little glimpse, starting with verse 18, into his life of three things. So he says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, you remember the story, Paul is in Rome under house arrest. You know, what he tells us is that he is in chains. He's in imprisonment. At best, it's the idea of house arrest. At worst, he's literally chained to the wall. He cannot go out and preach and do what he does. He cannot travel. He cannot take. It's only the people that come to him that he can minister to and the Roman guards that have to come and watch him. And he's talking about how this is falling out for the furtherance of the gospel because he's preaching the gospel. But when you look at this passage, there's three ways that the gospel has impacted Paul's life that ought to impact us. Number one, he is anticipating joy. Did you notice what he said there? In this I will rejoice. Now think about how, what he's saying there. I am in prison. I will rejoice. I can't go out and preach. I will rejoice. I don't know that I'm going to get out of here. That's okay. I'm going to rejoice. But then, and I always, I read out of the New American Standard, that's the version I do, because I think it's probably the most accurate. And if you have the New American Standard, you'll notice that yes, and I will rejoice is actually a second line. It's stuck in, and the Y of the yes is bold, which means it's a new paragraph. So even though it's in the same verse, because Paul didn't write this in verses, it's really, I will rejoice is the end of the first thought, okay? I'm in imprisonment. It's all falling out for the furtherance of the gospel. Yes, and I will rejoice is really the start of his next thought, because the idea here is, is that he is anticipating joy. It's, it's not just the fact that he's living in joy in the midst of the circumstances, seeing how God's using it, but looking ahead into the unknown, he also is living with joy. 
He's also anticipating that I will rejoice. Even though I don't know how it's going to play out, I will rejoice. Why? Well, because that's the power of the gospel. And gospel-impacted life is characterized by joy. I mean, think about it, folk. What does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us that today you and I are loved by God. Warts and all. In fact, the Bible tells us when we were at our very worst, when we were yet in our sin, Christ loved us and came and died for us. Not only that, we have been forgiven. That God will never hold against us anything that we've ever done because as far away from him as the east is from the west. That we've been made part of the beloved. That when we show up in God's presence with our prayers, man, he, he gets a smile on his face because that's who he has made us to be. And, and the truth be is, and the question really is, how can that not cause joy in our heart? You know, today when we sing good, good father, I mean, there's a reality to that in our life that he is with us, that he cares about us. Man, it's joy. But it's not just joy for today, it's joy for tomorrow. Because the truth is, is I know tomorrow I'm going to be loved. Tomorrow I'm still part of the love. Better yet, tomorrow, if it's a good day or it's a bad day, doesn't really matter because there's still a better day coming. And that tomorrow, whether it's a good day or a bad day, he's going to be with me. And he's going to be using it. And so I can look to the future and I can anticipate joy knowing God is going to be with me. God's going to see me through. God is going to give me his grace for whatever happens. Do you remember what Paul tells us in Galatians that we're all filled with his spirit and the fruit of the spirit, the first one is love. Do you remember what the second fruit is? Joy. Joy. So, a gospel-impacted life is characterized by joy. Now, that raises a question. It raised a question to me. I don't know if it raises it in you. I had to struggle with, okay, do I bring up the question? Because I don't want to sound judgmental, so I tried to phrase it really nicely, but here's the question. So, if a gospel-impacted life is characterized by joy then why do so many Christians at least to appear to be without joy? You, you know who I'm talking about? They're dreading tomorrow. I mean, they're down on life. They're down on the church. They're down on culture. They're down on people. They're just down. And, and no, it's not you. It's that person next to you I'm talking to. Don't, 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 don't take it too personally. But folks, I've read some of your posts online. And you're mad at the world and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're upset and you're just... And honestly, some of you, you know, you're spirit animal. Your spirit animal is Eeyore. And, and, and the sad thing is, is that most people that are here, I love you, I'm just trying to speak truth... But you're completely unself-aware about this. Because if you were to ask, do you live with joy? Yeah, I live with joy. I know I'm going to heaven. Can't wait till I get there. So how is it that Christians 
who should be the most joyful people in the world don't live with joy? Well, one is, I think we probably don't allow the gospel to truly impact our mind and our heart and stand in its truth. And I think another thing that happens is we kind of get our eyes off of Jesus. It reminded me of a story that when I was going, a young man in ministry, I heard this story and it really resonated with me. But there was a young pastor went out to a country church that hadn't been around forever. And uh, we would put it in, in, in the... Uh, in the uh, culture that I would live, I would put it like this. His honeymoon with the church didn't last very long, okay? Uh, things went south quickly. And people were complaining and people were upset and people were withholding money. And man, I mean, it just was not going well. And, and so one day after church, he's greeting people at, at the back door. Of course, a number of them would go out the side doors because they didn't want to shake his hand. But this little lady came and said, listen, I really want you to come to my house. I want to have tea with you. And to be honest, in his heart, he thought, man, I don't want to go to your house. I've got all this going on. The last thing I want to do is come and and spend time there. I've got so much to do. But, you know, as a pastor, you suck it up. Okay. So sure enough, he showed up when he was supposed to and knocked on the door. And she came in and took him into the living room. And she, uh, she said, now listen, I'm going to go make some tea, but I want you to look at this picture that I have on the wall. I don't know if this is the picture, but it was a picture of Daniel in the lion's den, something like this. And, and he thought, oh great. It's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. I've seen them before. I've seen one like this before. You know, there's like a zillion of them if you just Google it. You know, it's there. She shuffles on to make tea, and she takes forever. You know, he's looking at his watch. He's tapping his foot, and it's just like, ah, Lord, just get me out of here. So finally, she comes back in, and they sit down, and she said, well, what do you think of my picture of Daniel? Now, you have to understand, one of the gifts you have to be as a pastor is you have to be a schmoozer, okay? You just do. It's part of the job. And so he, he just launched, and he says, oh, it's a beautiful picture, and where did you get the picture? You know, that's where he's going to go with this discussion. And she goes, no, you didn't get it, did you? He said, get what? He said, look at the picture. Where are Daniel's eyes? We're not told in Scripture, but the, uh, the artist's take on this was, was that Daniel's eyes were not on the lions. Daniel's eyes were on Jesus. Folk, that's how you live with anticipating joy. Not with your eyes on the problem, not your eyes on tomorrow, but your eyes on Jesus, because he's the one who's going to be with you, right? He's the one who's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. He's the one who, who knows everything that's happening in your life. I mean, even when it looks like it's falling apart, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If the gospel message doesn't tell us one thing, doesn't it tell us that in the midst of chaos, when it looks like all's gone wrong because Jesus, the Son of God, is dying on the cross, that even in that moment, God had a plan. And God was accomplishing his plan. And that we can trust him. Folks, that's why we can live with anticipating joy. When we allow the gospel to impact our life and to know that our God is going to be with us and that he is going to, he's there, then we can live with joy. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, tomorrow, maybe you got that doctor's appointment. 
Or tomorrow, maybe the boss said on Friday, I want to see you on Monday. And you don't know how it's going to go, but the truth is, you know God knows. He's got this. He's with you. Anticipating joy. The second piece of this then is verse 19. I love this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know. I know. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit. You see, joy comes with the reality of complete confidence in the truth of the gospel. The more we allow the gospel to permeate our heart, the more we set our mind on the gospel, the more convinced we become in the character of our God that he loves us, he cares about us, and the faithfulness of our God that he will never let us go. And what's really interesting in this, in this passage is the word deliverance. It's the Greek word soteria, which is usually translated salvation. The, if you pick up a commentary and you read on this passage, most of the commentary is going to debate the question, what does he mean by deliverance, soteria? Is he talking about deliverance from the jail? Is he talking about deliverance from Nero? Is he talking about ultimate deliverance or salvation when he stands before the Lord? And that's the question. And the more I read and the more I read the passage and the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I, don't, I think that Paul's whole point here was he was being vague on purpose because you really kind of get the sense that Paul wasn't even sure because he talks in a little bit, hey, whether it's by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you go a couple verses down, he, you kind of get the sense he thinks that God's going to keep him there. But I think his whole point is this. His confidence is not that God is going to get him out of the jail. It's not that God will get him out of house arrest. It's just that however God delivers him, God will deliver him. So if he goes, stands before Nero, and Nero says, all right, hey, there was nothing to these charges, you're gone, God is going to deliver him. He's going to walk him through it. That's the word, through. And if Nero says, Paul, I don't like Christians, you're the heart of it, off with your head, God's going to walk him through that too. Because even though I walk through the valley's shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folk, you show up for that doctor's appointment tomorrow and the doctor says, listen, I got good news. All your numbers are going up and they're going the right way. And great, God will walk you through that and you'll rejoice with him. Or if the doctor says, hey, listen, this is something we didn't know and this isn't something I can't do. This is going to lead to your death. Guess what? God's going to walk you through that and he's going to walk you all the way home. And you show up to the boss tomorrow and he gives you an attaboy and says, man, you're doing a great job and I want to promote you. Great, God will walk you through that. And if he says, listen, we've, we've reorganized here. You don't have a job anymore. Then you know what? That's okay too because God will walk you through that. That's what the confidence is. There's two little sub points here. I don't have a lot of time, but they're really pretty cool. He says this, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, and he mentions two things, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. First of all, 
being engaged in community, having the Philippian believers praying for Paul, strengthened his confidence. Now, now think about that for a moment. I mean, that's just really easy to read and go, yeah, yeah. Think about that. The Apostle Paul. The one who wrote so much of the New Testament. The one who was the, the great trailblazer. He even says that being in community and the strength, the encouragement of the community was important to him. If it's important to him, is it not important to us or shouldn't it be? To have those people that know what's going on in our life that are praying for us. The second thing he mentions then is the confidence that comes knowing the Holy Spirit is with him. And, and you really get the sense is what Paul's trying to say. I'm confident because guess what? I know you're praying. You're praying for my physical needs. You're praying for my spiritual needs. You're praying for my emotional needs. By the way, I got the Holy Spirit right here. He's answering your prayers. As you pray, he's providing those things through his spirit, through people that are coming in. God is just at work here. I'm confident God's going to walk me through this. However it ends, by life or by death, he's going to walk me through it. Folks, when you and I truly allow the in gospel to engage our hearts and our minds, it will bring complete confidence, not in ourselves, not in the outcome, but in the one who holds us in the palm of his hand. The third piece to this, then, is the sense of overwhelming purpose. And that's verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. One of the things that the gospel does when we allow it to permeate our hearts, if we are becoming more like Jesus, one of the things that will be growing in our life is the sense that I am here for a purpose, that I am here for a mission. Why? Because that's what Jesus' life was about. I mean, even in his birth. Remember, the angel shows up and talks to Joseph about Mary. And oh, by the way, she shall bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. There was a purpose. Jesus came and says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. As a ransom for many, that's why I'm here. John 10, I lay down my life for my sheep. Hebrews 12 puts it like this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus came and lived on mission. And so the more you and I let the gospel permeate our life, there's this sense of mission. What is God doing? You know, today as I get up, how is God going to use me? Where's God going to put me that I can both live and share Jesus? And in fact, that's, you think of the, the great heroes of the faith. I mean, it was a little before my time. But some of you that are more mature, like I am, <clears throat> been around a few more days, maybe you remember this story of a man by the name of Jim Elliott, 1950s. Very successful young man out of college. God called him to the mission field. Jim Elliott and four or five other families were called to go to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. The Aka Indians were headhunters. Nobody had ever made contact with them and lived to tell about it. 
but they didn't know Jesus. And God put it upon their heart. And so one of the things that they did is they began to fly their plane in and they located them and they started dropping gifts. And they did this over and over on a kind of regular basis. And then finally that day when they came that they decided to make contact and they landed on the river and pulled up to that sandy beach. And, and Jim and his four missionary friends were brutally murdered on that beach. A month or two before that, Jim had written in his diary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You see, Jim had experienced the power of the gospel in his life. The same thing that Paul said, hey, whether it's by life or by death, it's just that Christ would be exalted, that I would live and share Jesus and the really cool piece in this. And remember, you know, God's going to see you through, walk them all the way home. God's got a plan. In the midst of that brutality, God got a hold of those, those savages' heart. In fact, Jim's family, the other families, a few other missionaries came in, could live with them, took the gospel. It's almost like the whole tribe came to faith in Jesus. Because of the death of some of his saints, God had a plan. God was in control. But they were impressed with his overwhelming purpose. Folk, you and I have an overwhelming purpose. We, the, every situation that comes into our life, how can I live Jesus? How can I share Jesus? How is God bringing this, you know, who, who is God bringing into my life that I can, I can do this? This is what we are called to do. And that's what the gospel message, because Jesus came, why? So that people might be saved, that he provides salvation. We're to become like Jesus. We're to take that message. We are to live on mission. That's what we're called to do. Folks, this is our great overwhelming purpose. You, I tell you, when you and I can get this, when the gospel can so permeate our heart that every morning we get up and we say, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me in living Jesus in good and in bad? What do you have for me today of who do you want me to talk to? Who are you going to bring into my path? Man, I tell you, life starts getting exciting because you show up at the doctor, they give you word hates. All right, how God's going to use this for the furtherance of the gospel? Stuff happens at work. All right, where's God moving me? Who's he bringing into my life so that I can go live and share Jesus? This is what we're called to do. This is the power of the gospel in our lives for those of us that know Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You've not come to put your faith in him, the one who is the son of God and came and died for you. That's where it begins. That's where the gospel starts making its impact in our life. That's the beginning point, putting your trust in Jesus. But then it's the power of the gospel changing us into the image of Christ.